Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. Hi, and welcome to this part two episode of a three-part series on the issues AAOS raised recently during Orthopedic Advocacy Week. In part one, which aired in May, we discussed reforming burdensome prior authorization and interviews with three of the original co-sponsors of the Improving Seniors Timely Access to Care Act. So if you missed that episode, I would encourage you to give it a listen. Today's episode is about telemedicine and how the flexibilities offered around these services to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic should remain even when the public health emergency comes to an end. The conversation you are about to hear on the topic is between an AAOS orthopedic surgeon member and a sitting congressman in the U.S. House of Representatives. Dr. Adam Levin specializes in orthopedic oncology at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Maryland. He and his colleagues in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery helped rapidly introduce a robust telemedicine program during a five-day period at the height of the pandemic. And Congressman Earl, or Buddy Carter, represents Georgia's first congressional district and spent 32 years as a pharmacist prior to joining the U.S. House. He is the lead co-sponsor of the Telehealth Modernization Act, H.R. 1332. As always, I want to recognize the Pfizer Lilly Alliance for helping to make the podcast possible and hope that you enjoy this episode. Yes, and welcome to the Bone Beat Podcast. Uh, my name is Adam Levin. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and uh, we're here together with uh, Congressman Buddy Carter from Georgia, uh, who's recently introduced the Telehealth Modernization Act. Uh, thank you for joining us, Congressman. Um, welcome to the Bone Beat. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. So, uh, and yeah, so the, yeah, as an orthopedic practicing surgeon, uh, we have seen how telemedicine has helped transform how we take care of patients. And, uh, yeah, I can give you some experience from my own practice, uh, prior to the pandemic and the public health emergency, uh, we had developed an infrastructure here in Baltimore, uh, to be able to see, uh, patients by telemedicine visits, uh, though some of the logistics, particularly in CMS patients, uh, were restrictive uh, and limiting our ability to utilize it. You know, fortunately, from yeah, the, the public health emergency and uh, the uh, HHS's um, yeah, ability to expand what we can do, we've started to see the great uh, expansion of our capabilities of caring for patients. Uh, and I'm sure that you can uh, relate to that in terms of how your own uh, <laughs> your own experience and uh, schools going virtual. Uh, and, and so I wanted to, to get an idea as to, you know, what is it that uh, introduced you to the, the telehealth and telehealth services and what made this uh, come onto your radar? Well, first of all, in Congress, I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and that's important because that's where the health subcommittee is. And I, of course, um, advocated to be on this committee because I wanted to be on the health subcommittee. And we've been talking about telehealth for, for many years, to be quite honest with you. And it 
it, it's been something we've been, you know, everybody's been saying, oh, we, we're going to have to have that in the future. We're going to have to do this. This is certainly a wave of the future. And we all recognize that. However, what happened during the public health emergency, as, as you indicated, is that we had, uh, I, I think there was a paper in England in London that said the headline was we've had 10 years of growth in telehealth in one week. And, and, we, and essentially we did. I mean, now, and I'll go even one step further than I think what you were describing. And I would say that telehealth is now an integral part of our healthcare system. And that's very important. And it's very important that we recognize that and that as we move into the future, that, that we do what we need to do to make sure it's going to remain an integral part of our, our healthcare system. It's been particularly helpful, as you might imagine, in the, in the rural areas, although, again, it's been helpful in the urban areas, but it really has been helpful in the, in the rural areas. And it's been very helpful during the pandemic where people, uh, you know, simply couldn't travel like they have been in the past. And I think now it's, it's going to, to give us the opportunity to really expand upon it even more. And, and make it even more useful, a more useful tool in, in our in our tool bag. Yeah, and so in my in my practice, so I, I specialize in oncology. So we have patients that often travel from hours away uh, to come to our care. Uh, yeah, and over time, yeah. Uh, Assuming that everything continues to go well as we hope it always does, uh, you know, they they continue to come back for long term follow up, and we've been able to see how introducing telehealth visits to save someone three hours of travel in each direction, um, you know, it has been uh, a, a great advance uh, for what we've been able to contribute. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that you can appreciate uh, from your pharmacy background, um, yeah, the the orthopedic community tends to be. Uh, less mobile, uh, and uh, and I'm sure that you can appreciate that from your your background um, prior to um, you know, coming to Washington, and uh, the 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 opportunity to be able to care for patients and at least even just be able to reach out and connect with them in a way uh, that limits their their need to come in in person um, and, and keeps them comfortable uh, back home uh, has been a, a tremendous advance for what we've been able to do. No question about it. Um, that's a great point that you make. And particularly, as you indicate, in orthopedics, it, it obviously uh, for a lot of patients, it, it is a, an effort, um, you know, to make the trip and, and to travel like that. But a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, we have to, we can't ignore the the cost savings here. I mean, for, you know, this really should help and does help in the way of, of bringing healthcare costs down. Not having to go to, to travel three hours round trip or, or one way. Um, it certainly saves patients time and money, and and that's very important. That's certainly something one of the top priorities we have on the Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee, and that is um, bringing down healthcare costs. and And this is one way that we can do it. Another thing you have to keep in mind is that um, you know, particularly in some areas, we have a shortage of physicians now. Not necessarily in orthopedics, but I do think, um, particularly in the way of psychiatry. In the way of mental health, um, this is an area where this where uh, telehealth can really 
can really help us, particularly in the rural areas where we we have uh, we we have a shortage of physicians, even general practitioners and family practitioners. And this is a way that um, you know we can spread that out, if you will, um, without having to necessarily add on more more physicians. So again decreasing healthcare costs. And I would maintain and I would submit that, uh, you know, the quality of care uh, stays the same and and in many ways improves. And and that's what we want is uh, high quality of care for our patients. And and to to echo that, um, yeah, the while much of the literature regarding healthcare disparities is related mostly to uh, urban um, and uh, various ethnicities, you know, we do see significant disparities when we talk about uh, rural health, um, being able to uh, open up the access to care for those that are farther from the major academic uh, healthcare centers, um, which tend to be in urban locations, uh, that this helps uh, allow those that are further away uh, to have the same access to care that the, to those that are right in our backyard. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, travel, distance, reducing healthcare costs, uh, and improving access to care, not just in terms of uh, who, how quickly you can get in to be seen and by whom, uh, but also uh, reducing admissions to emergency departments for things that probably can be managed uh, remotely. Uh, and uh, if I have someone with a wound care concern, it's a whole lot easier for me to say, can you point your camera down at your wound uh, and me say, uh, that, that actually looks fine. Uh, you can wait until next week uh, yeah, or, or and, whatnot. Yeah. And if I could just add also, because um, we have uh, quite a few I should say we have a, we had a few before the pandemic um, telehealth centers, if you will, and particularly in the rural areas. This, you know, in some of the emergency rooms in rural areas, you don't have uh, they're not um, level one trauma centers, and you know you don't have access to to neurologists, you don't have access to to the emergency medicine that you need. And in the case of an MI or in the case of, of, of some kind of thrombosis. Uh, you know, when you can get that patient in front of, uh, of, of a physician at a level one trauma center, then we're talking about life saving. And, and that's extremely important. And, and again, extremely important in the rural areas. Yeah. Uh, leveraging uh, the uh, the highest points of all that everyone can offer um, and spreading them out to all of uh, the constituents <laughs> and all across the country. Um, yeah, I think that we're seeing, uh, as we notice uh, necessity breeds innovation, uh, we're starting to see some advances in the technology and the utilization and a, a bit of a uh, framing of, of what we can offer uh, from a healthcare and how we can maximize the efficiency and the, and the efficacy of utilizing it. Um, but I know that you know, many uh, of our patients uh, and, and you know, 
many of our uh, administrators in the in the region are also demonstrating some concerns over overuse. Uh, how can this be abused? Uh, are you hearing that from any of your colleagues? Uh, and, and what other concerns are you hearing uh, that may uh, limit the enthusiasm uh, for being able to develop this uh, optimally? Well, you bring up a good point. There is a concern about overuse, and and certainly we understand the importance of the the physician patient relationship. And uh, there are times when you simply are not going to be able to use telehealth because you're going to have to be in the in the physician's office. But um, you know those concerns about the overuse of it. I'm I, I've got faith that um, most physicians are are going to kind of reach an equilibrium, if you will, and, and use this tool very wisely. And, and I think they will. Um, you know, it, it, it may, and, and I'm certainly not one who wants to see the heavy hand of government entering into particularly the practice of medicine, because I do believe that should be between the patient and the doctor. Um, but at the same time, there may be some limitations we have to set on it, or HHS has to set on it. So, We'll just have to, to deal with that. I know there is a one of the big um, concerns that we have right now, one of the big um, concerns that a lot of physicians mention is, you know, the use of, of a cell phone as, as opposed to, uh, you know, a more um, stable type of, of Internet service. And that that is something, you know, what about a phone call? Does that represent... Um, uh, telehealth is, is, you know, the definition of telehealth that's probably got to be tightened up some as well. Yeah, and uh, as we we recognize, uh, the public health emergency is uh, at some point going to expire, uh, and some of the the greatest benefits of the 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 expansion uh, for particularly regarding our origination site, uh, have allowed us to be able to you know, care for patients in their own living room instead of at uh, a specific center. Uh, it's been expanded outside of the rural areas. Uh, some of the rules regarding the HIPAA compliance, which I think you were just touching on uh, in terms of devices, uh, we're probably at a point now where we can retire some of those HIPAA um, you know, allowances <laughs> uh, to be able to, I think that we've advance the technology far enough that we can probably uh, you know, clamp down back to a more uh, more uh, stable uh, and, and uh, HIPAA compliant uh, platform. Uh, but uh, the the it, it, can you touch on uh, how the Telehealth Modernization Act uh, uh, addresses the origination site uh, and those restrictions uh, going forward? Well, certainly it, it's going to be very important. The origination side has been somewhat relaxed during the public health emergency. And, and if I could just for a second deviate from, from just the telehealth, the telemedicine part of this, my hope is that as a result of this pandemic, as a result of this public health emergency that we have experienced, Obviously, I think telehealth is one we have to specifically look at, but I hope we look at everything, everything that we've relaxed in the way of, uh, of not only healthcare but but outside of healthcare, all, all of the different um, different things that we have that we have relaxed. And before we just go, and when I say we, I mean the government. Before we just 
go and put everything back into place like it was pre-pandemic, I hope we'll we'll study it and look at it and say, you know, do we really need this? Is this really necessary? Do we really need to put this back into place? We did fine without it during the public health emergency. Wouldn't we be okay to do fine without it here uh, ongoing? Uh, we know telehealth, obviously, how it has benefited. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, and uh, you know, it's become an integral part of healthcare. An example, we know what um, Operation Warp Speed has resulted in three vaccines in less than a year. I'm one who would submit that that's going to go down as being one of the greatest um, miracles in in modern medical history. Uh, It's just phenomenal. And I say that from the perspective of a pharmacist who has in the past witnessed how long it takes to get a drug to market. You know, generally it would be five to seven years to get a a vaccine to market. We did it within a year and it's safe and effective. And we were able to do that. Well, again, during that time, we Operation Warp Speed, we we didn't cut back on anything except red tape. And and I hope before we just go back and say, okay, we're back to five to seven years before we can have another vaccine or five to seven years before we have a breakthrough drug, I hope we'll look at it and say, well, you know, maybe these these practices that we had during the public health emergency, maybe they can become our best practices now. And, and maybe... We don't have to go back to what we were doing pre-pandemic. And evaluating all that inertia that's been limiting our ability to advance things to new ways uh, or uh, limiting our willingness to even try new things um, because of the concerns over safety uh, out of necessity. You know, we've, we've pushed the envelope into ways of doing things that are different from how we've ever done them in the past. And I, yeah, I, I again, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and, uh, in showing that this has opened up new opportunities to rethink how we do you know, medicine, how we do uh, yeah, uh, CDC, uh, FDA approval processes, and frankly, almost every aspect of our lives have been impacted over the last 15 months in a way that lets us rethink uh, what, what do I need and what don't I need um, you know, out of everything. And we know that that's going to happen in the business world. I mean, let's face it, there are going to be companies who said, you know, we did fine virtually. Why, why are we going to need to go back to the office for this? So it, it goes beyond healthcare. It goes, you know, it touches all parts of our life now. And I think you'll see, uh, you know, a lot of companies just stay virtual or, or some kind of hybrid model anyway. And and those of us that live further north than Georgia, uh, my kids are, uh, yeah, they're expecting never to have another snow day ever again. So <laughs> there you go, perfect yeah. example. So uh, now your bill uh, has sixty five bipartisan co sponsors, uh, and it's almost fifty uh, fifty split between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, yeah, do you, how did you end up uh, managing to get such bipartisan support in the current environment? Well, first of all, I appreciate you mentioning that because I am very proud of that, and and I think it, particularly in healthcare, this is something we should see more of. And, and no better example than telehealth and the proliferation of telehealth during this public health emergency that, that we're working on this together. I would submit to you that the Energy and Commerce Committee is the most bipartisan committee in Congress. We produce bipartisan legislation, and, and that's very important to us. And, and I'm very proud of that and very proud to be on the committee. This is just another example of some of that bipartisan 
legislation that we produce and, and we get it. We understand that, um, you know, we're going to have our differences and, and we do have our differences, but there are a lot of areas that we find common ground on that we work together. Uh, and this is one of those. Yeah, we met uh, members of the uh, AAOS, uh, as well as some of our other subspecialty colleagues met um, probably about two months ago with the members of CMS and the GAO uh, to discuss our experience with telehealth, uh, what our concerns were for the future, uh, what our opportunities were, and where we thought uh, the, the future was headed. Um, and it, it kind of shows some of the uh, importance of speaking uh, about our experiences. Uh, and uh, I think that you're highlighting uh, what uh, our uh, cons- yeah, what our patients are saying, what our providers and colleagues are saying, uh, and and what the benefit or potential benefit of advocacy uh, can be uh in, in discussing with our representatives about you know, where we need to go going forward. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, parting thoughts or any ideas as to you know, what uh, our organization and what our patients can do uh, to help advocate for our needs going forward? Well, thank you for, for bringing that up because that's a great point to, to end on. And that is advocacy is so vitally important and it's vitally important now. For the telehealth medication, or, or for this bill, for as I just mentioned, when we start reviewing some of these things that have happened during the public health um, emergency, we need input from providers and experience. They, people love stories. Uh, members of Congress love stories. And I can't stress how important it is for your membership to, to call your representative and call your senator. And, and explain to them, look, I've got this patient who was, you know, lived uh, 50 miles away. And if it hadn't been for telehealth, they would not have gotten the health care services that they need. And we need to continue on with this. You know, one of the things that we we um, have pointed out and, and point out in the bill and stress in the bill is that our, our um, federally qualified health care centers. That is something that's very important and certainly is going to play a big role in utilizing telehealth in the future as well. We've got a great opportunity here, not only with telehealth, but with a number of different areas in healthcare to really improve the, the, the system and, and, and doing it in a way that, again, is safe and effective and provides better patient care. And that's what we're ultimately trying to do is provide better patient care. So how does that message get to members of Congress? It gets to members of Congress from providers just like y'all and, and calling up and visiting your, your representative, getting to know them, inviting them to your practice setting. Show them, hey, this is how we do telehealth. I, you see this leg right here? See this ankle that we're looking at right here? I, I, can, I can diagnose it just as well where I'm sitting here as I can if it were if they were in the office or I can, you know, there's no need for them to come back for this checkup at this point. I can I can do it through telehealth. That's the kind of thing that resonates with members of Congress. And that's what we need help in with the advocacy of members of, of your profession is getting that message out to to members of Congress. And the last thing I'll say is that um, even better than that is patience getting in touch with members of Congress saying, man, if it hadn't been for telehealth, if it hadn't been for this or that during this pandemic, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get the healthcare services I needed. 
that resonates with when members of Congress as well. So super. Uh, Congressman Carter, uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, not just your time and energy today uh, and, and in meeting with us on the Bone Beat podcast, but for all your advocacy work on advancing our ability to care for our patients in the optimal manner. Um, and uh, yeah, best of luck to you. Uh, you. And uh, we support you. And thank you very much. Thank you all. We hope you found this conversation valuable and look forward to having more of our AAOS members host episodes in the future. If you want to learn more about AAOS's efforts on telemedicine, please visit the Advocacy Action Center on AAOS.org. From there, you can also get information about our new patient advocacy program, which is designed to bring powerful stories to Capitol Hill like the ones mentioned at the end of this interview. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast and want to help increase its visibility among the musculoskeletal community, you can do so by leaving a rating or review. We would greatly appreciate it. And with that, part three, the final episode in our series will air next month and cover reducing and preventing physician mental health issues. So be on the lookout for that episode in July. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org advocacy.